you're scared. That's okay. And you're also brave. Do it. That's awesome. Afraid. From Crossroads Media, this is See Here Love, the podcast with Melinda Estabrooks, season eight, episode number 13. The Bible can feel overwhelming, confusing, or hard to believe. Scripture Untangled, a new podcast by the Canadian Bible Society, brings you interviews with culture leaders, leaders in ministry, and Bible thinkers to help you be inspired to dive into the Bible and understand it. Listen for free and subscribe to Scripture Untangled on your preferred podcast app. Visit scriptureuntangled.ca for more information. I'm here in my hometown of Burlington, Ontario, hanging out downtown in our village square. And as I walk these cobblestone streets, I realize that it has taken a village to ensure that See Here Love's mission and vision is shared across Canada, around the world, that you are seen, heard, and deeply loved by God. As a body of Christ, there is hope for us to grow and reconstruct together. We couldn't do this work without you sharing life-changing stories of what Jesus is doing in people's lives, stories of hope, and freedom and healing in areas that matter to me and to you. I want to have the faith to believe that His plan is good even when it's taking that detour that I don't really understand. We have so much more to do and so many more people to reach with the life-changing message of Jesus. For a monthly donation of $25 or more, you can help us do just that. And we'll send you a special thank you gift of our favorite things. Go to seeherelove.com give or call 1-800-265-3100 and join our See Here Love Village today. All right, well, welcome back to our special See Here Love Christmas series with great expectation, finding hope, peace, joy, and love this Advent season. And this episode is all about hope, which I need more of. I know a lot of you listening and watching need as well. I'm not being judgy. I'm just being honest because it's been a year. It's been a year for all of us. And I think I know I have the perfect person, storyteller, director to help us out with our feeling of hopelessness and our need of hope. So welcome Blaine Hogan to the show and Merry Early Christmas to you. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. I'm happy to be a bringer of hope. Okay. <laughs> All the weight of the world of hope on you, Blaine. Let's do it. Right now. Okay, but I'm first happy. I just need to gush about you a little bit because some people might not know you. Maybe a very few might not know you yet. It's kind of you, Melinda. <laughs> Blaine, you are a writer and film and creative director. Really cool. I love the creatives. I'm a content creator, so we'll get into that. Yeah. You were formerly the creative director for Willow Creek Community Church, a big church for those of you who don't know in Chicago. Uh, you are currently a full-time filmmaker who directs celebrities from LeBron James. We're a Raptors fan here in Canada. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah. Okay. Um, to Carrie Underwood, who married a Canadian that's right. So, okay, back in good like this graces. Year, so we got some Canadian back in. Sure. Um, so she married a Canadian. Uh, you live in Atlanta, Georgia with your wife, Margaret, and your three daughters. That's right. Now, that's a story in itself. It is. Having three daughters. You hold a master's degree in theology and culture from the Seattle School for Theology and Psychology. And you've appeared in many stage productions and television shows. And you're the author of this latest book, Exit the Cave, Embracing a Life of Courage and Creativity and radical imagination. You've done a lot. You're busy. I am busy. It is weird to hear a bio like that because I do feel like my life, I've had 
like three different careers. I wanted yeah. I was an actor for a good chunk of time. Uh, okay. And then I became a creative director and was a um, did the kind of the mega church thing for a decade. And then oh, now okay. I'm sort of back out into the mainstream um, of uh, content art creation as a commercial and film director. So it is a strange. Wow. It is it is strange. Um, but know, I, I, heard, I, I love it. I heard Blaine that an average person will have seven different careers. Yes. Like you're on three, so you've got four more to go. I got four. I can't imagine <laughs> what they will be. Um, uh, four but I look more forward to, to them. Yeah, great. Let's do it. I, How I, are you I, loving I, having? Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Well, so I don't know. Do you talk much about Enneagram? On your I show? do. Okay. I, so I'm, well, I haven't. We are going to. Um, I'd like to know yours because um, mine is. It's obvious for people. Usually. They always call. They always are like, "This is this is the number you are." I would say you are three. Interesting. Okay. What would? Really? Why don't I mean? We've really just met. Melinda. We've just met, so maybe. I've, interesting that I get that a lot, but I'm a seven. Okay. With okay. Eight, but with my line to three. Okay. Like they, so the line is very strong to three. So it's like a, a seven, and then line to three, wing eight. I sometimes mistake sevens for threes. Um, because I myself okay. am a seven with an eight wing. So we are exactly the same, Melinda. Ah, wow. Uh, but because uh, sort of multi-hyphenated people often mm-hmm. get mistaken for the achievement part because they do all kinds of different things. Yes. Um, but I do feel like that that is a very deep part of my personality as an enthusiast and someone mm-hmm. who just, I love to try new things and different Me things. Too. And if so uh, I think that's part of, you know, why I have tried and done so many different things. And I look forward to the four more careers that I have yet to. And I will interview you to. about those okay, on your on your sixth career, your sixth Amazing. new career. Okay, And great. maybe like seventh book. I don't know. Um, how was it parenting three daughters? So, oh boy, my wife and I thought we were going to all have boys. We only ever <laughs> imagined boys. It's just for whatever reason, that's what we thought. And yeah. then uh, then we had Ruby, uh, who's 11 now. Eloise, who's our middle, Great. who just turned yeah. nine yesterday. Uh, okay. This is recorded uh, a, a while back, but in November. Um, mm-hmm. And then we are, our youngest, uh, Nora, is five. And so Great I names. say... In a, Thank you. My wife's name is Margaret, so we have kind of this old-timey grandma old-time. situation okay. that we're yeah, kind of yeah. leaning into. Got um, it, got it. I, I say in the book that you cannot hide. So I spent my, uh, as a seven, you may know this, Melinda, um, feel free to overshare like I do in my life, <laughs> which is that I tend to run from my pain. That mm-hmm. is the core <laughs> uh, trait of, of, of a seven. And so because of that, I spent a lot of my life hiding. And so I've been married now 13 years. Margaret and I have been married She's a big character in the book as well. Um, I say in the book that you cannot hide from a good wife. And you really can't hide from daughters. And so I find myself just being called out all the live long day by these these ladies. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm a lucky guy. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Well, before we talk more about your book... And about Hope and LeBron James. Yeah, okay, let's uh, go. I, uh, let's talk a little bit about, and because it's Christmas, 
me to talk a little bit about Christmas. Yeah. Blaine, tell me your favorite, and this would be good for a director, your favorite part or moment of the Christmas story, but I'm not talking about a Christmas story with the leg lamp. Sure, I'm yes. talking the Classic. Christmas story. You know yep. what I'm saying? Yep. Like, just in case you were confused older. and you were going to no, say no, no. something about that movie, but uh, the I Christmas love- story. Yep, I do love that movie. Um, yeah. yeah, it's interesting that you asked that question um, because, so as a creative director at Willow Creek, uh, mm-hmm. where, where I was there for uh, a decade or so, um, every single year I had to ask that question. What is oh. my favorite part of the Christmas story? Because every okay. year we would need to find sort of new and creative ways to tell that story. And so I haven't actually thought about that story in a while to be quite okay. honest because okay. I'm because I'm no longer in the church and I don't have that muscle memory of in uh, it's funny when I when I worked at at uh, at the church we lived down the street from a high school and in the summertime kind of August is when the marching band would start rehearsing uh, in the in the parking lot. Yeah. And I knew, so I'm, I'm a runner. And so I knew that, and I would listen to music when I, when I run. That's kind of how I get most of my ideas. And so I knew that whenever the marching band was starting to rehearse, I now needed to switch my playlist over to Christmas music right. to begin generating ideas for mm-hmm. the Christmas to come. So it, is, it was a funny thought experiment when you sent that to me because I'm like, man, I haven't thought about that in a while. Um, but when, I, when, when I, I, I got quiet, I actually went for a run and I thought, I think it's actually three moments, but it's the same thing that happens. Okay. It happens with uh, Mary, it happens with Joseph, and it happens with the shepherds. And mm-hmm. each time the angel says, do not be afraid. Mm-hmm. And I think about fear a lot. Uh, I am an a, a, an actor or a former actor. That's what I did for a good chunk of my life. That's career number one, Melinda, for accounting. Mm-hmm. And I, it's a, I have the unfortunate uh, <laughs> predilection to being stage fright, which is a really bad problem to wow. have as someone who is an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as I as I realized um, as I kind of went through my creative journey, I realized I can't just be unafraid. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to remove the fear. And so my favorite part is the fact that the the angel continues to repeat, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, Mm. because we just are. And so there are two ways, I think, to look at it. One, you can look at it and go, oh, well, then I shouldn't. But then I am. So then what do I do? It kind of can provoke some amount of shame. Right. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. if we're told to be not afraid and yet we still feel afraid, what do we do with that? And uh, a motto, I'm speaking of our our daughters um, and something that I I talk a little bit about in the book. uh, But we have this family motto and the final phrase is do it afraid. And so Mm -hmm. when I look at the Christmas story and I look at all the different moments that the angel is uh, compelling those characters in the story that the angel is asking them and God to participate in, uh, of course, is saying, don't be afraid. And yet, to me, like human to human, I'm like, it's okay if you are. Just do it anyway. Hmm. Do it afraid. Good. And so what we're, when I think of the Christmas story, that's, that's what I think of is these humans that are, are being reminded uh, to not be afraid, and for me, I'm I'm like, man, I still feel that way a lot of the time. 
I still feel afraid. And so the encouragement is the hope is it's okay. You can be, and we say this to our daughters all the time, you're scared. That's okay. And you're also brave. Do it. That's awesome. Afraid. I love that. That's really good. Do not be afraid. That's great. Uh, Second thing, and in light of hope, as this is sort of the theme for our show, and it's in the week of Advent for Hope, uh, our anchor quote for this series, with great expectation, is by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he says this, The celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. Mm. Come on, Bonhoeffer. Come on through. Yeah, yeah. That's what I know. I, I saw that and I read it. And I'm like, ooh, that's it. That's going to be the series. And it always comes like inspiration like that. Yeah, we weren't course. even going to do this podcast series. Then I read this quote and, and I like, phoned Mike to do it. I'm like, we're doing a podcast series with some really great people to talk about this. So mm. t- what are your thoughts about that quote? I mean uh, – in light of hope, but what resonates, Blaine, with you on that one? Because I think it's a really powerful, powerful... Yeah, read the first line again. The celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. I mean, that is... Can, can Dietrich Bonhoeffer be my life verse now? <laughs> I mean, I am... Um, Yes, we'll come through me and I'll get some royalties on on that, if if you um, don't mind. Yeah, I mean, Melinda, I'm so troubled. I I have um, so much in my story, so much in my soul that that aches, that hurts, that sometimes Mm -hmm. feels like it's in pain. Um, And and yet, I have hope. And I think about um, uh, Dan Allender who's a mentor of mine and is a character in the book. I keep saying this is characters, my wife and, and Dan Allender. It's a memoir, uh, but mm-hmm. I, I've written it in, in a way that feels, I hope, almost like a, a novel. Everything is true, um, and yet I wanted to tell a really great story. But at any rate, uh, when I, uh, I took a hiatus from acting and I went out to Seattle to go to this school um, to basically do some recovery, and uh, the very first class I took was Dan's, and it was called Faith, Hope, and Love. And Faith, Hope, and Love is something we talk about all the time, um, but he helped me reimagine what that actually is. And the way he would describe it is, first, faith is a memory of God's mm-hmm. goodness. And so it's funny, I mean, as you're you know, talking about um, being troubled, being you know, having this, this poor soul, you, you do have to remember uh, some of those darker places in, in, in your life and know that even in the midst of those places that God was there, God saw that there is goodness still mm-hmm. in those dark, dark places. So he'll say that. So he says, faith is a memory of God's goodness. Basically, if he came once, he can come again. Mm-hmm. And then hope is, the, the, is, is kind of like a brain blowing sort of mind mending melding idea he says hope is a memory for the future i like that and then love 
is the practice of how, how, how we practice it today. And so when I think about that Bonhoeffer quote, I think exactly that, that I remember the places in which I have been troubled and am still. Uh, and, and yet in the midst of that, I know that there is God's goodness. And in God's goodness, uh, I have a memory for the future. Like, I know it's going to happen again. Yeah. Uh, and in the context of our present day, I get to try and walk that out in the context of love. That is a great answer to that. And I'm not going to say this, that it's the best answer out of all the people who. Oh, I'm OK. You can say podcast. that. Is that OK if you I say that? OK, then I said it. OK. Best answer. It, it was one of the best one of one of the best answers. <laughs> I'll take <laughs> it. Be- I'll take it, Melinda. That's fine. To the quote. Very hopeful. I have so much to ask you. So let's start with something fun that when I was reading the beginning of your book, and for those that, you know, have maybe forgotten the book Exit the Cave, Embracing a Life of Courage and Creativity and Radical Imagination. So I cannot believe still in reading this that you actually went down to the hotel lobby only in your underwear. (laughs) to Get a key when you lock yourself out of your hotel room. Because I honestly thought to myself, if that was me. Now, I don't know if it's a, a woman, man thing. Yeah, what sure, I would okay. have done. Like, I honestly thought to myself. Because it has happened where I, I've snuck out the food or yeah. garbage. Because I don't want it smelling in my room. Totally get that. And yeah. so you guys need to read the book if you're listening and watching to get more context of what happened. But yeah. I actually stood in the hallway, me, and thought, what would I have done? Like, I actually don't know. Yeah. I, I might have gone into a fetal position on the floor. I really don't know. I actually was well, like, I don't, because I don't think I would have walked down. I don't think I would have lo- walked down to the lobby. I really wouldn't have. So, yeah, I mean, very quick just, context. Just, you know. yeah. <laughs> yeah, very quick context. I was speaking at a conference. I was the yes. keynote speaker. The hotel lobby that I had just gone through was filled with conference goers. I brought food up to my room. And it was smelling like it does after you eat it. And I was getting ready for bed and I went to put Mm -hmm. my tray and I I knelt down and the door locked behind me. I was wearing only my underwear. And at the time, this was a number of years ago, I called down to the front desk at the little phone by 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 the elevator and asked them, you know, would they please send up security, whatever. And they said, we don't do that. Uh, It's now a security concern. We need you to come down to the lobby. I can't. I can't. <laughs> and so I just sauntered down there what? like a like I was European going for a late night swim mm-hmm. in a pool uh, in a ho- at a hotel that didn't have a pool through a sea of people that knew who I was mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. was going to and so the joke I is you know they always say that as a speaker you should picture the audience naked. Yeah. But that will give you some amount of courage. Um, it doesn't positive. though. I've tried it, Blaine. Yeah. I've tried that and it doesn't it actually starts making me feel nauseous. Totally. Um and then <laughs> yeah. I'm like, Yeah, that's not helping at all. Like I ha- well, I did try that once in sure. a women's conference and I'm like, No, oh. that that doesn't you know what I'm saying? So, like for me. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, totally. So not only does that work, the opposite is is also not true. <laughs> where they say to the audience, picture the keynote speaker in his skivvies going down to the hotel lobby. So yeah, uh, yeah. yeah that that did actually happen. Yeah, so you know, I it's a it's a great story. I've never heard that in all the interviews I've had 
from a speaker, oh, like a keynote. No one's, no one's, that's never no, no one's ever, no, before, no one really. has ever. That's so weird. Shared that an experience even similar to that um, okay. in the well, 600 interviews I'm... I've done, you know, the 600 plus interviews I've done with many people all over the world. I'm never. glad that I could be the first. <laughs> and I think that here's the thing, setting, setting you up for this conversation that to then go on stage after and speak that huge kudos Lots of courage, and and again, also you just have to do what you have to do. Like you got it. it you the gotta show do it must afraid, go on, Melinda. You have to and do, do it, it afraid. afraid. That's right. Because I, I don't know honestly if I would have been able. No, I think I would have, but maybe I would have turned my back and spoken like my back to everybody. I don't sure. know. Sure, which they I would have know. already seen as well. Know, right? Maria, just so. <laughs> which then you're right. They would have been like seen that. Mal, just turn around. You're right. But anyway, yeah. I thought that was a great way to start off your book. Yeah. It shows a little personality of you and 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 about who you are that you just got to keep pushing through. You got to just yeah. Keep well, like I said, I'm an, I'm, an, I'm an oversharer. Um, <laughs> but the point of sharing that 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 story was that I got up there and I was prepared to tell them this sort of kind of how to about you know being a creative director have a great creative process here's tips and tricks on making sure that you stay inspired mm-hmm. um and something about having walked through the lobby and everyone seen me in my underwear made me throw out my complete so talk good. and instead uh what i sensed that in that moment instead of sharing them sort of the tips and tricks of the creative process i would tell the, them how a new understanding of creativity saved my life. And instead of offering tips and tricks, I would offer them my story instead. And that's, it. And that's what sets up that's uh, it. The, the book. That's it. And story is always the thing. I mean, I've been sharing my story for 25 years, speaking mm-hmm. all across the world. And, you know, and, and the story is changing and growing every year, right? Always. Like yep. it started with my adoption into immigrating and moving to Canada and, you know, the experience of racism and then depression and prodigal daughter and divorce mm. and you just, it just keeps going. But yep. I would say I can give all the tips and tricks, but mo- more more than not, when I share my story, that's when the audience connects. And that's when I see a lot of change and transformation, not only in myself, yep. but in others because of that. So yep. Good for you. I love that. So let's talk about your story. I am so fascinated and excited to hear, Blaine. Uh, But what I, to set it up, you know, reading what you say is, sometimes the greatest gift you can receive is for your life to fall apart. That brings me terror. (laughs) And for someone who likes to control and keep things steady. And you know what I mean? Um, Yeah. And I'm very productive, and I do a lot of things, and I do them well. Yep. Uh, for life or anything to fall apart gives me anxiety. And yet yes. you say something very counterintuitive that no one wants, but you say it's the greatest gift you can receive. Let's yeah. start with that, because that that's huge. So you, you, you say anxiety, um, and that is actually what um, kind of broke it all open for me. I was living okay. in Chicago. I was working in all the best theaters in town. Uh, I was on a TV show, a very small role uh, that was filming in Chicago. I was flying back and forth to New York, auditioning for Broadway musicals and meeting with producers. And everything in my career was going up and to the right. 
And then uh, one uh, late one evening, I woke up with a debilitating panic attack. I felt like I was going wow. to die. Mm-hmm. And I uh, went to the emergency room, and they explained to me that I was having a panic attack. And uh, I realized that this panic attack had, you know, things like that don't happen in a vacuum. Everything comes from somewhere. And essentially, my story, my life had caught up with me. I could no longer outrun my story, uh, which is sort of trigger warning here. Um, I experienced Mm -hmm. some sexual abuse when I was a a younger kid. And the way that I salved that wound uh, was through what became uh, a sex addiction. And uh, while my career was, again, up and to the right, I was going to some of the deepest and darkest places that my addiction was sending me. The pain had become so great um, that I had to kind of take bigger and bigger risks to kind of quell the beast, uh, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so... Through that panic attack, everything just kind of broke open. I uh, came from parents of a long line of addicts, watched my dad suffer with a whole host of his own. And in that moment, not in that day or in that you know exact moment, but in that season, I realized that if I was going to stay alive, I was going to have to make some sort of dramatic choice. And it was in that space that I learned of this school in Seattle. Uh, a man, man by the name of Dan Allender wrote a book called The Wounded Heart. It's mm-hmm. uh, the uh, for adult victims of childhood sexual abuse. And I read that book and I realized he had a school and it just somehow made some weird kind of sense that I should call my agent, say I'm taking two years off from this very successful acting career and I'm going to this school that I think as a seminary, uh, I had no intention of becoming a pastor or a a therapist or uh, working in the church. I just knew that if I didn't go do this, I don't think I, uh, I don't think I would have made it. And I had that kind of sense in, in, in that moment. And so I, you know, that was almost 20 years ago. Uh, and I look back at that moment and realize that, man, am I grateful that everything fell apart. Man, am I grateful that my story finally caught up to me uh, and made me begin to tell the truth of where I had come from and where I was going. And so mm-hmm. I look at the, the, the idea of addiction as a gift. And the great news is, Melinda, we're all addicted to something. Now, some of us mm-hmm. have some of the bigger ones, but you know, even the idea of people-pleasing and being in control all the time, um, all of those are patterned behaviors that are trying to keep us safe. And oftentimes, the work that we're trying to do to kind of keep it going, to keep all the balls in in the air, is actually preventing us from going back into some of those areas of uh, brokenness in our own story Mm -hmm. that God wants to redeem and make whole and help re-narrate. So the idea that you could go back and remember so that you could remember, you could be put back together. And so, uh, I really am, uh, I, I, I embrace the gift of rock Mm -hmm. bottom and of it all falling apart. Yeah. Wow. It was a lot. So let me, when I, that was a lot, Melinda. (laughs) 
No, but I'm listening. And I was like, and well, I say a lot in, in a very respectful no, I, way because I'm I, really listening because there's a couple things that, that, that kind of like sparked up at me. Number one, when we'll go back. So you're having this anxiety attack. And how many of us have had moments like that, but then just were like, oh, yeah. and then never made a decision or took a moment to say, whoa, what is this saying to me? Yeah. So yeah. I guess my question, Blaine, is why and how did you say, whoa, this is like something physical now manifesting yeah. in me and then I'm making the decision? Because we know tons of people who totally. have very many clear signs and they're ignoring it. Yeah, I think, well, like I said, we're all great news. We're all addicted to something. Um, yeah. And uh, all of that kind of pattern behavior, all of that are all of those things are symptoms of some deeper stuff that is all going on that that things and pieces and bits of our story, trauma and hurt and pain Mm -hmm. that we carry with us in our body. And, you know, we are whole beings. And so you could even, you know, have made a decision, been done with something in your mind, um, but your body is still holding on to it. And so for me, that came out in a very physical way. Some people experience that, um, you know, through the manifestation of chronic pain or, you know, or, you know, like you said, anxiety, which was what my story was. I had an amazing therapist at that time that talked a lot about um, the gift of addiction and the idea that the thing that you're using to salve your pain saved your life as a kid. You, it, it actually was the thing that kept mm. you alive. And so in many ways... Um, it helped you. It saved your life. But now you're growing out of that and it's attempting to do the opposite, which is destroy your life. And so mm-hmm. oftentimes, and especially in Christian circles, um, when it comes to addiction, we talk a lot about, you know, people will white knuckle it or I'm just going to pray this out of me or I'm just going to, if I had more faith or I just need to stop. And the mm-hmm. words that were so profound to me, and I'm answering your question, um, is that he would say, Get curious. So when you act out, um, when you go to those places that you don't want to go, you could, you have a choice. You could, um, you know, demonize that or you could white knuckle it or you can just try and throw it away Uh, or you could get curious about it. Same thing with an anxiety attack or why am I always wanting to be in control or um, why am I always trying to be the one that makes sure everyone's happy before I'm happy? Getting curious. And so those are the words and that's I think what I would offer is as you, if you find yourself in those spaces, um, get curious because the only way through or over or I would say through um, the healing and doing that kind of work is by being kind to those parts of yourself that need care. And that's the other thing, too, that I would say, and I think I learned that in that space, is that the my therapist was helping me recognize that the, the panic attack, the anxiety, was actually my body and God trying to say, hey, pay attention to this. This is mm-hmm. a place that doesn't need work that has to change, because that's another thing I think we can get stuck on. Um, but mm-hmm. this is a space, this is a place that is begging for care. So good. Get curious, be kind. And I think that's such a good reminder, Blaine, because, you know, within Christian space, uh, 
the physical sometimes we ignore, right? It's like you just you just keep going. Yep. Harvest is plentiful. God has called you, like all of these things which has put so much pressure on people to then not be curious or acknowledge some of the the, the real deep hurts that are happening. Yeah. Because there's yeah. other things that you need to do that are, are priorities. And mm-hmm. I think in, you know, I've been in ministry work for a long time and that's been a really good learning and eye-opening over the years about just mm-hmm. sort of self-care. And I'm not perfect. I still have my issues because I'm very much of a high achiever, huge yeah. output, sure. creative, yeah. make things happen, right? That's right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's really, really good. You know, one of the things that I I knew, I was like, I think I'm going to like this guy when I do an interview. <laughs> not that I don't, again, not that I don't like all the people I interview. And of course, but they're, they're the lovely thing. people. All loved, all me. beloved, all you beloved. Were, you were hopeful you would like me a little bit more than the when rest. I, because... When I read this quote. Okay. okay. Because yeah. I read this quote. Hmm. And it is because it resonates with, with the show, my show, See Here Love. And you said when a person is seen, really seen, and then loved, really loved. And I was going to insert, when a person is seen, really seen, and heard, really heard, and then sure. loved, really loved. I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh, that's that's my show. Yes. But you missed the heard. Seen and um, heard. Yep, okay. I'll, yes, I'll, okay, got it. Maybe, in, maybe tweak I'll that quote. Rewrite. <laughs> yep. rewrite the quote. 100%. Change the script on that. Um, it does something powerful to their heart, and it coaxes them out of hiding. Whoa. Mm. Which really then makes sense about exiting the cave. Let's Let's talk about that. The scene... Because that's my thing, the loved, and then it coaxes them out of hiding because it does something powerful to their Mm. heart and to them. Wow, I love it. Love that. Yeah. um, You know, I think uh, on the, I, in the book, I talk about the story of Hagar. It's uh, a a beautiful story and it's a really, really hard story. Um, if people haven't heard it, it's the story of this woman. Her name is Hagar, this very young woman. Um, and she is an enslaved Egyptian. And she's essentially given to uh, Abraham by way of Sarah. Sarah's unable to conceive. Um, a woman in that day, uh, if she's unable to conceive, she's nothing. And so um, they bring uh, Hagar into this sort of... Um, tragedy really um the 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 cruel experiment works and hagar is with child and uh there's a moment in the story where hagar bolts she says i have to get out of here and i she leaves she runs through the forest and she finds herself at the edge of a riverbed i imagine her you know collapsing having just Mm. made that journey completely alone um, you know, her breath um, seen as mist on the horizon. And she hears the voice of the Lord say to her two questions. Where have you come from? Where are you going? Mm-hmm. And it's this idea of um, being kind and gentle to the place and pain that you've come from. And then also um, this sort of... Uh, well, what what what's next? Kind of hopeful possibility as well. So, in between those two questions, um, she does something that for had never happened in the Bible up until that very moment, uh, which was giving God a name. So, no one up to that point has named God 
in the Hebrew scripture. And it's not from the mouth of a Hebrew or an Israelite or someone of the chosen. It's from an Egyptian enslaved woman. And she says to God, she calls God El Roy, which is the God who sees. Mm -hmm. And I tell that story in the book because it's an incredibly formative moment where I recognize, okay, I could go back to some of these moments of my past, my pain, my hurt, my trauma, and I can know that God has seen it. Not only God has seen it, but God is present in those moments. Now, the problem is a lot of us, uh, Stephanie Fu, um, who's uh, an Asian-American author, she she has a book that just came out called In My Bones about um, her uh, PTSD complex trauma. And she talks about how, similar to me, she had come to a point where she could no longer outrun her story and realized that she had become an unreliable narrator. And so what God is offering us is, in, in uh, why the story of Hagar is so profound to me, is this woman, she calls God El Roy. It is the God who sees everything. And God is inviting us back into those stories, into those moments uh, of, mm-hmm. of hurt. And saying, I'm, I think you might have gotten it a little wrong. That there's something in there that's so good that I want to remind you of. I want you to remember. And it's in those deep, deep places that you uh, that the most good is. And I, my experience has been that as I've opened myself up to going back into some of those stories, as I've been reminded that God has seen and that God has heard me, that all of a sudden uh, I feel the freedom to tell the truth, to tell the um, uh, to tell my secrets, and to feel the warm embrace of love. Mm. Uh, so I um, I I resonate with the name of your show uh, so deeply, um, and it's also what my hope is for the book. You know, I keep kind of asking myself. Or keep telling myself, why did I do this? Like, I didn't have to write a book that told all my deepest, darkest secrets. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I'm getting the some of the feedback, uh, as the book is just now starting to come out, I'm hearing words like "me too" and "thank you." Mm-hmm. And my, I'll see you a Dietrich quote for a Bonhoeffer quote. Okay. Uh, or, or I'm sorry, yeah. a Frederick Beekner quote for. Beekner. For yeah. Bonhoeffer. For a Bonhoeffer quote. Um, and I'll, I'll butcher it, but it's basically he says that at some point we must tell the secrets of who we are, if, if only to ourselves. And as we do, uh, it will invite others to do the same. Mm-hmm. And so that, I think, is what I'm trying to do with the book. I, I do find myself as a very hopeful, mostly joy-filled, love-filled person Um even though there's a lot of heart broken pain in in my life, um, but I know that I have been seen, and it is my hope that as I share the ways that I have been seen, that those reading would feel the courage um, to show some of themselves that maybe they've never shared before. Mm-hmm. That's good. Do you think a lot of people are in the cave and need to exit it? That you know, maybe many of us are being coaxed out, but we would prefer the dark, damp, possibly, you know, 
oh, hiddenness yeah. of the cave. Yeah, I mean, and that's um, it's of course I wanted to stay there. I I I I like clung to it, clung to the shadows and the darkness of the cave for as long as I possibly could, until I could do so no longer. Until for me, it became basically life or death. And so I mm. think, of course, we're 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 way more uh, comfortable. In those places, you know, I, I think about um, the story in Genesis after uh, they've eaten the fruit and they realize that they're naked and God, you know, says, yeah. uh, where are you? And where all of us are hiding. Uh, we, of course, would prefer to stay in those places. But um, I'm also a Genesis one person. I looking at it numerically um, that God mm. created the place and created us as good. And so uh, we are invited to do that scary thing, which is come out into the light, uh, which is how we were created to live, created to to live in a way that uh, is whole and is not. Oh, Siri is talking to me um, to, to um, live in a light, live in the light in a way that feels whole and holy. Uh, and 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 more free, but we we of we of course would often rather stay in those places. And I think I would also uh, encourage those who do feel that tension to get curious about that tension, to get curious mm-hmm. about what 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 is better if I if I stay here, and also again to be kind because yeah, your body your your body your spirit is trying to protect you from something um and it's done a really great job up until this point but now something that helped you survive is now preventing you from living a full life yeah can i ask you this question blaine about addiction you know i i, I interviewed last year a guy who was working through and he was in recovery with cocaine addiction and then I had another uh, interview with this really brave guy uh, who talked um, a lot about his his crack addiction and I guess my question is I mean are you is it always recovery or is addiction something that you have to really be mindful and and be aware of your whole life I know that some people Mm. have said they have been released from it prayed over and it's gone but I, yeah. I feel like for the most part, people still with addiction have to be very mindful and thoughtful about that because it could easily be something that you could you could turn back to. Sure. And I guess I just want your thoughts on it because I, I, I know that and there's a lot of people who after those interviews wrote me and were like, thank you for having honest conversations about yeah, it, you know, totally. not just for Christians and in the church because sure. a lot of times we don't talk about those stuff, but yep. overall – um, yeah, I would say I personally would identify as someone who is in recovery yeah. and that will be a lifelong journey of mine. I will just always be recovering. Um, there are people that, like you said, have had sort of these miraculous um, moments where they've just been lifted out of that thing. Um, but I think for many of us, uh, that is not that is not the case. It is something that is. Uh, I wouldn't call it an ongoing struggle. I would call it, uh, you know, something like I said. Uh, the way I phrase it is that you that we are or I am 
in recovery, and that's going to be something that I'll, I will always be thinking of. Also, um, you know, I, I would say that we're in a moment um, in our culture where certainly alcohol sobriety um, and uh, drug addiction uh, are in the zeitgeist, and it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And I'm so grateful for that, that there is mm-hmm. so many people talking about you know, being sober, curious even. And so uh, what, what is interesting when you look at some of those things, like drugs and alcohol specifically, that those are addictions that are taking in something that's not supposed to really be in us anyway, right? Like essentially it's some kind of poison. But most of us have something that's a little bit more subtle. We, you know, my, mine, um, I need intimacy with my wife and I need love. Um, and uh, as a, as someone who's married, like I need sex with my wife. And um, for people yep. who, who struggle with um, uh, disordered eating, like you have to eat to sustain yourself. Um, for someone who struggles with control or people pleasing, we need to be in relationship with ourselves and, and, and each other. And I think that that's why, um, I, I, as I'm talking more about my own addiction, um, I'm actually saying you may not have it, have the sort of full blown thing that, you know, that I've had in, in my life. Um, but you, there is something, there is something there and that is a gift to be able to pay attention to and something mm-hmm. that that you may have the opportunity uh, for it to form uh, your life as, as you move forward. And so, again, I think that's why I look at it as a gift um, because every day I get to have this uh, staring in, in front of me and I have a choice to choose life or death. And I think, again, we all get to do that if only we would get curious about where are those places that we ourselves yeah. might be feeling stuck. It's good blame. Hopeful, definitely hopeful. And I love that, you know, with the book and even your own life, it's that when we embrace exit the cave and, you know, we can look at um, embracing this life of courage and creativity, but you say, that you can then tell a better story with your life. And I think mm. that's so hopeful because I think for some people, and, and I, you know, there's a motto I always say when I speak because when I was going through my divorce, my husband had left and I was on the fetal position in my home and my girlfriend, Mars, mm. came up to me and she's singing songs over me and she put her hand, you know, on my back and I'm just like, I can't do this. And she goes, you can and you will because she said, today is not your forever. Mm. You know, that motto, which totally changed my life because it was like, my story could be that and I could tell that story or I could choose that my story will not be that which is today because it can be different tomorrow in the way that I, that I choose to look at life or the way I choose to stand up and come out of my fetal position slowly Mm -hmm. and, and make some choices. Uh, And I think, you know, with this conversation about hope. Blaine, talk, tell me about telling a better story with your life. Because I think there's a lot of people right now, especially in this season of Christmas, as we're going into a new year, I want to tell a better story. I don't yeah. – my story right now sucks. <laughs> like my story mm-hmm. is not a story of flourishing and thriving. Yeah. It's a story of depression and anxiety and out of a pandemic and then all kinds of stuff. How, how can I tell a yeah. better story? Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, we've all come 
from somewhere. And I think there are a lot of us that feel exactly that, that we're stuck, we're in the cave. I, I have a really crappy story right now. My history is, uh, is, is a crappy one. Um, and what I would say is I would uh, repeat what uh, Dan Allender told me so many years ago. He said, the easiest thing to change is your past, which is a ludicrous thing mm. to mm. hear. Um, but it's actually true. And, and basically what he meant is that uh, the story that we think is finite, that has happened, that is in the past, um, if we have the courage to go back into those places, getting curious about like, why do I feel this way? Why do I feel like I'm stuck? What 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 is happening? What stories are coming to mind? That God is saying, I want you to look at that again, and I want you I want you to see how I was present in that moment. I want to bless that for you. I want to show you how maybe you've been narrating that story a little bit uh, incorrectly, uh, and I want to give you a new vision for what happened back then. And then it, it basically transforms time. And I'll answer your question by way of uh, transforming the space-time continuum. May I do that, Melinda? Yes, please. Okay, so we think I've of lost time. time. I, I, I kind of gave you like three-hour window for this conversation. <laughs> Great. A little okay. Joe Rogan. Like, so, wonderful. <laughs> three-hour window. So we, we think of time as, uh, as linear, past, present, future. But the mm-hmm. way we experience time is inverted. We experience time as past, future, present. And by that, we mean that anything that happened to our it happened to us in our past. What is our story? The places that we feel like we're stuck, the 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 hurt and the pain and the trauma. Exactly what you're telling me about being in the fetal position in that in that moment. Um, if you had stayed that and your friend hadn't been able to you know invite you to another way of thinking, you basically are going to template that bad thing into the future. And hmm. however you imagine whatever is going to happen in the future, based on what you think happened in the past or what happened in the past is how you live in the present. So it's past, future, present. But if you go back into the Mm. past, getting curious about what's coming up for me right now, what's getting in the way, what is that anxiety actually saying? What is my body inviting me? Uh, What story do I feel stuck in? Inviting God into that place because he's the God who sees and help you re-narrate that story you will begin to imagine a completely different future. And when you imagine a different Mm. future, you live differently in the present and your story starts to change. You begin to live a different story. So I learned, I think, what they say you cannot do, which is you can change your past. Now, you cannot change what happened. We cannot erase the abuse. We cannot erase the mistakes. We cannot erase the divorce. We cannot erase the death and the harm and the trauma. But what we can do is remember it differently Mm -hmm. through the lens of God and through that sort of, again, blowing up the space-time continuum. uh, Mm -hmm. As you remember your past, you actually will remember your story, the hyphen. And people, maybe they'll see it. So as I remember my past, I'm going to hmm. remember my story. I will put it, it will be put back together in a completely different way. And I think that is what I mean uh, when I say uh, living a better story. Uh, but you're going to have to go back. You're going to have to go back. 
before you can do the hard work. I always say that to people, you know, it's people are like, Oh, I want this life to change my life to change. And it's like, well, then you got to do the hard work. There's choices. Whereas people are just like, but I just want it to change. And I'm always reminding people there's choice to do and there's hard work to do. Mm -hmm. So what's your hope for this book, your book, exit the cave, embracing a life of courage and creativity and radical imagination. What's your hope when people Mm -hmm. pick this up? You know, Carl Sagan has this quote. He says that what is most personal is most universal. And I know that as I have experienced art where someone has gone back into their story, and maybe it's not exactly my story, maybe it's not, I didn't experience exactly those things, Um, but when someone has been honest and true and they've told me their secrets and they've told me somehow how their life has changed, um, I'm inspired by that. And so my hope is that as I have told my story and my secrets, that in the ways in which I have exited the cave, that those reading would be able to recognize that they're not alone, that they have an ally, that they maybe even have a guide in someone, that they would begin to feel the courage to do the same, that they would begin to mm-hmm. remember their past so that they could remember their story that they would be able to tell some of their secrets um because my wife says this all the time and it's one of the chapters later in the book that free people free people and i want to free people and so i hope this book as hyperbolic as that sounds melinda but you're asking me on a podcast and a show (laughs) is i hope i hope something of my story and the freedom that i've found frees people amazing uh i love that you did this i love that you're also director i i mean i could talk so much but working in those spaces with celebrities tell me what what have you learned from that as a christian in that space because i was watching Mm -hmm. you share on instagram about arnold and how he was reading a line and you just read i don't believe you yeah which was was awesome for arnold i'm like are you kidding and i'm like thinking because he could easily have said in his voice, like, dude, you have you have, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, so I was but directing Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's pretty awesome. He was delivering a line. He's like my childhood hero. I wanted to be John Connor when I was a kid. I auditioned for that role. Really? Um, oh, yeah. Well, like, a, like, but like as a, like a big, like, cattle call casting. Like, I was not ever Okay, but I can see that now role. that I'm looking at you, I'm like... Like, I could be oh, John Connor. yes. Right? Yes. And so yes. uh, I am directing him. Um, it is for a protein powder that he and LeBron James, a company they mm-hmm. had started, kind of a fitness company. He's reading his lines to camera. We're getting into late in the day. It's not going well. He's kind of on autopilot. And I start looking around being like, someone's got to tell Arnold that his he's not doing a good job. And I realize, oh, my God, that's my job. I'm the director. That, and so I you walk are the over director. to Arnold and I say... I don't believe you. And he turns, he looks at me like he's going to terminate laser me. Yeah. Takes a deep breath. He goes back to the camera. He delivers his line is like, oh, it was amazing. He, he did it. He took, he took my direction. And really that's a lesson on just telling the truth or yeah, um, connecting to your story. Um, but to, in answer to your question, that's just kind of a fun anecdote. Um, I think of myself as a pastor on set. Um, hmm. I, I think of myself as you know, the director on set sets the tone of the set. 
And so how I show up is uh, how others will show up. Some directors are really, um, they're meticulous, they're quick to anger, um, they will lead through fear. Uh, and because I understand brain chemistry, uh, I know that fear does the exact opposite to our brains. Instead of flooding it with dopamine, it flows, floods us with cortisol, the stress hormone that happens when we have a trauma response, and we become less creative. And so my mm. job is to create a space where people feel the freedom to just be themselves. And so uh, I know that every celebrity, um, they have to put on, they have to... Um, be a certain way. And so, uh, especially when I'm dealing with people who are just, you know, they're doing this every day, all day long. I say, here's an opportunity for you to, you have one job today, Carrie, LeBron. Just be yourself. This is a safe space for you to be all of who you are. Uh, and, mm, and I, sometimes I say this, uh, most of the time I just keep it to myself, but my motto is that I want to leave people better than I found them. And so however that shows up, um, and sometimes that leads to really interesting conversations. And sometimes I hope it's just like, oh, in the 18 commercial spots that they did that week, <laughs> that they felt like a human being, um, mm-hmm. rather than someone that just had their... Uh, picture taken or had to read some lines that they felt like they could be a whole person. Amazing. I'm so glad you're in that space. I'm so glad for this 55 minute conversation. Oh, so Um, good. 55 Blaine. Uh, It was great. I mean, there was so much more, but I think, I think that's what I needed to hear. A lot of times when I have these conversations, it's more, I just, my questions for people, I don't care about anybody else. It's more about what can I, what can I learn from my interviews? Yes. Uh, but it was, it's, it's got me thinking, even in some of my areas, you know, and I've, I've been doing this for a long time. So I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful that mm. you wrote the book and that you were brave you. and courageous to do it. And glad that you get to hang out with all these people. Yeah. And, uh, it's a weird job, yeah, with right? Carrie, did you, yeah, it's amazing. And I'm glad that you're doing it. So Merry Christmas and a happy new year to you. You too, Melinda. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for just your hopeful thoughts and conversation and just some really practical things, too, about just, you know, in in the physical, you know, let's make no be curious and be kind, which are good reminders for this season and as we go into the new year. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Uh, Yep. And to those who are listening and watching, Merry Christmas to you, too. We're praying that you find and receive all the hope and peace and joy and love the season that Christ Emmanuel God with us will inspire you and lead you into a new story, a new kind of creativity, and radical imagination. And we hope with you and for you, and always know that you are seen, heard, and deeply loved by God. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to See, Here Love, the podcast with Melinda Estabrooks. Stay connected with our daily posts and stories on Instagram or Facebook at See, Here Love, or join our newsletter at www.seeherelove.com.